Hey everybody, I'm Brooke and I sobered up August 2nd, 2016. Hi friends, I'm Suzanne and I sobered up December 19th, 1991. Together we got a lot of recovery and we host Seek Purpose, the podcast. Seek Purpose is a community that supports recovery, healing, and spiritual growth. We believe that sharing our stories can greatly impact our communities and collective action can impact the world. So stop scrolling and start listening, will ya? Awesome. Hey everybody, my name's Brooke. Hi friends, I'm Suzanne. I am Alexis. Hi. Hey, we are Seek Purpose, the podcast, and we're so excited today. We have Alexis Nicole here to share her journey of recovery and tell us about what she is up to. She is a recovery coach, just got a new job, we found out, which is super exciting, and uh, a motivational speaker. She also has a beauty business and is just absolutely rocking it. So she's definitely a good example of finding purpose after your addiction. And would you like to introduce yourself, Nicole? Alexis. (laughs) (laughs) You know how many people say to me, and Nicole, I'm like, it's Alexis Nicole. Um, My name's Alexis Nicole. I go by Alexis Nicole because my I was married and I still hold that last name because my kids do and I choose not to identify with it. So I identify as Alexis Nicole um, and that is how I am branded everywhere. Um, I, yeah, I am eight years clean. Um, I just took eight years in um, August and I have had a recovery journey for, oh my gosh, I'm going to eat like 20 years. So, um, yeah, yeah. I have four kids. I live in Vancouver. Yeah. You have a cat. (laughs) What's your cat's name? (laughs) I have a cat. That's Phoebe. Um, Phoebe is, Phoebe's a rescue. We got her from San Jose last year, um, from a kill shelter and she came up here and she was six weeks old and she has never hissed once. She has never growled once. And she's just my little love bug. Yeah. And she's not camera shy, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we called her Phoebe from Friends because when we first got her, she uh, there was like this one pedestal and another pedestal and they were really close together. Like she should have been able to make that jump and she didn't and she hit her head off the side of it and fell down and kind of like in a cartoon, like shook her head and her one eye was kind of winked. And my kid was like, that's our cat. <laughs> That's so awesome. Was she smelly? Her name's Phoebe. Is she a smelly cat? No, she's just like kind of ditzy and like flaky and that's Phoebe. Yeah. I feel like if if my Phoebe had a voice, it would be Phoebe from Friends. Yeah. So yeah. I love that. So let's get into your story of recovery. Tell us about your journey. What was life like before recovery for you? Yeah. So people on here are like, who are you talking to? I'm on a podcast right now. I'm also (laughs) live on my TikTok. Um, So I just want to, yeah, I'll tell you my story. Mm. Um, I grew up in a home in White Rock, which is in Vancouver and uh, is a suburb. And I, um, yeah, I, I, it was normal. Like it was so normal. Like I have a sister. It was like the nuclear family. And Um, my dad had a really good job. My mom stayed at home. She coached the basketball team at our elementary school. Like she, she was mom that wore a tracksuit every day and was like the, it was just (laughs) tracksuits. (laughs) You could tell when she was coming because the pants would swish back and forth. So when we were watching like much music or MTV, we weren't allowed to, we would be like, oh, turn the channel because mom's coming because we're pants. Um, but she, yeah, our lives were really normal and, um, but I, I think I grew up with this like constant um, need and want for attention for I felt like not enough. I was even when I was in elementary school, um, I just remember like finding it really difficult to maintain friendships. Um, I, I didn't find a problem like making friends, but I found it very difficult to like maintain that. And it was because I was trying to be something that I wasn't to a bunch of people um that you know that that didn't want that from me like i was projecting what i thought they wanted from me and it wasn't um so i would yeah just seek attention at anything and 
and that's that like core thing in my being that I just never felt good enough, strong enough, good, pretty enough, you know, any of that enough. And so when I got into uh, high school in grade eight, I kind of got like exposed to people who started smoking weed and drinking and um um yeah and and I remember the first time I got drunk was when I (laughs) we I was in a play and so you were from grade eight to grade 12 people that were all in this rap party after the play and so what happened is everyone was was drinking and they thought oh the grade 12 so it'd be really fun to get the grade eights drunk right and so um I remember drinking and drinking and drinking and then puking and puking and puking and being like this is awesome (laughs) and um and like I most people would feel that and go oh gross I never want to do that again I had a hangover the next day I didn't care I was like that was awesome I want to do it again and so for my entire high school I just constantly was um using different substances. I got kicked out of high school in grade nine. I ended up going to a Christian school, which my parents thought would fix me. It did not. Um, I ended up getting into an argument in Christian perspectives class. The very first class I was in, they're like, this isn't a debate class, Alexis. (laughs) Like this is a a course that we're teaching about the Bible. And I was like, yeah, but um, I didn't fit in there. And then um, I got kicked out of there. I got kicked out of homeschooling. That is a thing. I was homeschooled after that in grade 10. And then I cheated on the test by writing all the answers on my arm so many times that you had to like go into the test because there was no like online learning then. So I would go in to do the test and I would have all of these notes and they knew and then they were like, you can't come back next year. So I then I went to another school. Then I I yeah, it was just a mess. So by the time I was um, 18, I had gone back as a super senior that year because I didn't graduate grade 12 the first time. And when I did graduate um, the first place, like some people to go, go to college and I went to treatment. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I remember calling my grandma who was elderly and being like, hey, like I need money. And she's like, you need to call your parents. And so my parents ended up getting me and sending me away. Um, and I went through a, you know, a, a program. Um, and after that, like 28 days, they were like, okay. And my parents were like, yeah, find your own way home. So I just like resettled in Terrace with like 30 days and didn't stay clean. I found the, the dope dealers. I found the like trailer parks. I found the everything. Um, and within four months, I was now living at my dealer's house in a trailer park, <laughs> driving this 1986 Bonneville that I bought for $400 and the windshield wipers didn't work. And I lived in this town called Terrace, which is like right by like the Alaska almost. And I had a rope that was tied from one windshield wiper inside the car, through the car to the other windshield wiper. And I would like pull on the rope back and forth to have the windshield wipers go. Like it was crazy and I was crazy. And um, my dealer phoned my dad and said, you need to get her out of my house. And so- You got a dealer kicked you out. (laughs) My- my dealer was like, she can't be here anymore. I remember I brought a bunch of drugs up there um, and tried to sell them and, and then just did them. And like, I don't know if we can talk about what type of drug. Can we? Yeah. yeah. I brought a whole bunch of meth from Vancouver up to Terrace and thought, I'm going to sell this and make a bunch of money because no one has meth up here. And I did it all in a day and was like, I blacked out, honestly, like I blacked out for like three weeks and they were like, you need help. So um, when your meth dealer tells you you need to (laughs) get help, you might have a problem with meth. (laughs) That's a pretty good sign. Um, So 
it was honestly the best thing that ever happened to me. And I, I believe that the universe guides us in our life and through our way and that we go through experiences in order to um, like, it, you know, get to where we're supposed to be or learn the lessons we're supposed to learn. And um, like the universe had my back in that moment and was like, she needs to just not be here. And so that happened, I believe that way for that reason. And mm -hmm. yeah, I went to treatment. Um, I became clean. Um, I, my parents, like it took me 12 flights, 12 missed flights from Terrace to Vancouver to finally get on one. Um, and they drove me straight to the ferry and straight to a treatment center. And at the time they had to put me in Terrace because there was no treatment for girls that were under 18 or under 19. You had to wait until you were 19 or go to this one co-ed crappy treatment center in the middle of nowhere that really had no programming. And so I'm an advocate for, for teenage female youth treatment mm. anyways, because I didn't have that access then. Mm. Um, and there still is a very huge gap there. Um, so yeah, I ended up getting clean and I ended up getting a really good life right away. Like I stayed in treatment for almost a year. Um, I went back to school. I moved out to a community that, you know, had a bunch of other recovering addicts and that were my age. And I, you know, got a boyfriend. Um, and I, but I, but again, like that need to like fit in was like so strong in me. And and so I watched these people that were in their 30s because I was so young, right? Like I was 20 and um, get get like husbands and wives and like children and careers and beautiful cars and houses, right? And I wanted that right now. So I got pregnant at 21 um, and he, you know, he, Nick was 26 and I got pregnant with Ava. And so now I'm 21, pregnant, not a very good job, like living in a basement suite, wanting this like life that I'm trying to create that like, I don't, I'm not ready for, right? And I think like, that was my illusion is that people get clean and, and do this thing and like, they look happy. I just want to recreate that and look happy. And mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't know what happy meant, right? So, um, yeah, we, I, I ended up having two kids. I was 24, Nick and I moved to North Van. Um, and I stopped showing up for recovery. Like I started hanging out with people, you know, the other moms and this drinking culture mm. around moms. It, it, it was there in 2005. It's just different now mm -hmm. in 2020 because we have all these memes and access to the, you know, to it online, but it was still there. I remember, um, when my daughter was little and we were taking her out with other people, moms in the uh, community, and we, everyone had booze in their sippy cups and they would call it their adult sippy cup. It was so bizarre. And the more that I, this, the more I stopped engaging in my recovery program that I had designed for myself and that was designed for me before I got there. Um, and the more I pulled away from my support and the more that I pulled away from that community and the more that I wanted to be normal so bad because I'm 25, 26 now and married for like a while, like I've been in a relationship for six years. It's like a quarter of my lifespan and I have these kids and and I just want to be normal so bad. And I was so angry and I started getting angry and resentful and upset. And, and um, I had never really developed my self-worth or like a connection with the higher power. So I was just trying to fill it with anything else. And I remember we got in a fight one day and I looked at him and I said, you know what? You'll probably like me better if I'm drunk. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me and he said, you're probably right. And he didn't like me better drunk. <laughs> divorced <laughs> um but I'll tell you what like I talk about this a lot I did a lot of drugs when I was younger when I decided to make the decision to pick up and it was a calculated decision to pick up a drink um I did a pros and cons list um 
it brought me that alcohol brought me down faster than meth ever did mm-hmm. or any other drug ever did and the reason for that is I had more to lose I think mm-hmm. at that point than I did when I was you know 18 um and I yeah I, I ditched my family I ditched my kids I ditched my family I ditched uh any responsibility I, I was working in insurance and I was like showing up just reeking of booze every day and I was trying to like write I was I was I was in risk assessment. <laughs> I needed to like risk assess my life, not other people's homes. And, uh, and it, it was a nightmare. And so I was not able to, uh, I was not able to continue with that career and what better else career than for somebody who's drinking and doing drugs all the time is to work in bars. Mm-hmm. So that's the transition. Um, I was at enough bars enough that I knew a lot of people and I was like, I want to work. And they were like, okay. So I, that's what I started doing. And I tell people, some people get a, uh, a degree at, you know, a university. I got a degree at the Roxy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, like I don't know what these people thought of. Like I was there every single night you know, and, um, and I was just trying to fill the void of like any of my kid, like my kids being gone, um, you know, any of that. So flash forward to 2012, um, I had a friend of mine who, uh, like, and I'll tell you, I, it got dark, it got bad, right? Like I, um, was using in, a basement suite that I felt trapped in. Like I talk about this a lot. Like, I don't know if people can relate to like, um, like dish towels under the door and in the, <laughs> like, in the like window sills And like, uh, like I had, um, what do you call it? Uh, tin foil, like on the windows so that people couldn't see in. And then I had like, my vents were stuffed with like towels. Like it was crazy. I was paranoid. My life was insane. Um, I still had access to my kids on a limited basis, but it was, it was crazy. And a friend of mine came by and said like, Lex, um, I knew his dad and he said, Lex, like, let's go, uh, to Squamish where my dad is. It's a 45 minute drive there and a 45 minute drive back. He's not doing well. Let's go see him. I never went and saw his dad. He got in me in the car and he's like, you're a goof and you're a loser and you are, like you're gonna lose everything and you're gonna die and you're gonna I mean that I'm lucky I got clean at a time when um the overdose crisis it was right before the overdose crisis happened I am not certain I would be here today if I hadn't gotten clean at that time Mm -hmm. uh with the way that I was using and how much I was using and the methods that I was using so um I got clean like I went to a fellowship and of people that were, um, that I had known before and, and it, I didn't think that I would stay clean. I thought, okay, this will get Scott off my back. This will get my ex-husband off my back. This will get my parents off my back. This will get like, my work will get stabilized again. And I'll just like stay here for a while. But I didn't think it would work because I didn't, want it to work I didn't even really want it to work and so when I tell people like when you get when you get decide to get clean like you don't have to want to sometimes like they say like oh yeah I I I got clean for my kids this time and I stayed clean because when I found the self-worth for myself Mm -hmm. but I I didn't get that right away like I didn't get that self-worth until like year three or four Mm-hmm. and I don't know, like my story after getting clean is pretty crazy. Like, um, you can be clean off, off dope and not be healthy. Mm-hmm. And so I did exactly what I did before, which was like, I found a guy, right. Who had some more clean time than me. Mm-hmm. And we got married six weeks after meeting. Oh, wow. So he had four years. I had four months. And 
I don't know what these people thought that were like around us that went to this wedding. I picked out an Eddie Vedder song to walk down the aisle to. Like it was (laughs) ridiculous. Like it was so ridiculous. It was like, I, but you know what I'm so proud of still is that I had the best wedding for $5,000 that you will ever have. So like if I came out with anything, I know how to throw a bomb ass wedding and make everyone look super, super good for really cheap. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a business. (laughs) Um, Yeah, he got loaded right away and I um, didn't. And we got, um, we went through a lot and he now became my addiction, right? Like he Mm -hmm. became my purpose, super codependent. I'm gonna get him clean and like the baby bird syndrome, I'm gonna like help him. And then I got pregnant again. And I thought that that would fix things. He wanted kids. He didn't have kids. I was like, okay. And I'm like getting my kids back more and more at this point now. And, um, and I thought, okay, I'm going to create this family. But like, really what I had created from before was so unhealthy. And like, I drank over it yet. I'm recreating the same thing over and over again. And at the same time, my ex-husband is now marrying someone else. So I'm like, I need to get married now and like show him that I'm like better than you. Like, what is that? And it's a mental health breakdown. Like I had a really public mental health Britney moment. And, um, you know, I think like, honestly, we, we went through a lot and, and like, I have two beautiful kids because of it. And like, it's Rosie's birthday today. She's six. So this is like six years ago, I had Rosie. Um, and you know, but I'll get back to that. He, we, we were not good. Like we fought, we fought, we fought, we fought to the point, like he went and worked in Alberta so that we were like provinces away, uh, from each other. And I thought, Oh, if you're going to go away for three weeks at a time, I can handle this. Like, I can handle this. You're going to just go away for three weeks, come back for a week. I can handle that week, right? Because, like, I didn't work. He worked. I just took care of the kids. It was, like, fine. And I was pregnant, and I was scared, and I didn't want to leave um, And because I thought that would, like, show failure on my part. And so when I did, um, when he did, like, come back, we would get into fights. I'm telling you, like, there is no one on this planet that can run after a man faster than me at eight months pregnant down the street, <laughs> crazy yelling. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> like, I'm just like, who, 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 like eight months pregnant. Like, come back. I love you. <laughs> like, so crazy. <laughs> and like, so crazy. And he became my addiction. Yeah. And I'll, and you know what? Like, I'm not proud of this story, but I tell this story with so much like, like, um, love and, and hope that like other people see this and like, the ministry knew that he was loaded and that I was crazy and they got involved and they said, you guys can't be together. And then what ended up happening. Oh, and by the way, when Rosie was born two months later, I was pregnant with Rhea. So now I'm pregnant again and my hormones are like this. And I've got this dude that's like shooting up in a bed next to me and I'm watching American Idol going, Oh, my life's great. Like it's, it was so delusional. And Um, and so I'm clean, but I'm like hurting, but I'm not willing to do any work around any of this stuff. So I am pregnant with Rhea. They tell us we're not allowed to live together. I go and I rent an apartment, basement suite thing. And every time they say they want to do a house check, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm here. And then I would go back. And that's the cycle of abuse. Right. And Mm. I was the abuser. He was the abuser. Like there's no, I'm not saying he was like this bad, evil person. We did this together and it was crazy. And, um, and then the ministry came one day and was like, you guys are together and they removed Rosie and I'm like, like super pregnant. And then when Rhea was born, they removed Rhea at birth and my doctor built the fur clinic at children's hospital, uh, which is a clinic for women that give birth to children that are addicted and I begged, I wasn't allowed to be in that, um, in that unit because I didn't give birth to a baby that was addicted, but I begged him, uh, and for me to stay, she was in NICU. So yeah. And then they placed them in Comox, which is a, basically a six hour travel time away one way. So I had to drive, like go on a fair drive, go on a ferry drive to, in order to see my kids for like an hour visit. And so I wanted to give them up. Like, I didn't want, I remember I phoned my friend Amanda Stoller and I'm like, I'm not doing this. I'm not getting on that ferry anymore. 
and I don't want to use, but I don't want to live. And I think I'm just going to kill myself. And she said, you need to get on that fucking ferry. And I did. And I phoned uh, my mentor that had been mentoring me in recovery for 10 years. And I said, I want to die. And she said, if you overdose, if you use and you overdose, you die. I will never forgive you. And I had this moment where I was at my own rock bottom and in recovery three years clean. And, um, and I decided to do some work. So I went and did um, DBT therapy. I went and did CBT therapy. Um, I tried to get diagnosed as borderline. <laughs> that would make things better if I had a diagnosis for it. Um, and I definitely have traits of borderline, um, but I needed to heal. So I was working, I started complying with MC, you know, the ministry, so, you know, child protection. Um, I started doing all this work on myself that was outside help. Um, and I decided that I wanted to live a better life. And I let my second husband go and I let my first husband go. And I was like, I'm going to be single. Like, this is my, like, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. I don't have a choice. Who wants to like, oh, four kids and crazy. <laughs> a lot oh, don't people. worry. Like, I don't have my kids all the time because they're like placed in Comox with like child protective services and want to like hang out. Like what? Guy? I always say like, look in the, like the rooms or wherever you are, go to a convention where there's a countdown and pick out the three hottest dudes. Okay. And then go to the countdown and watch where they stand up. And if you can, you can gauge your healthiness by where they stand up. So if they're standing up at like five years clean, it's like, good for you. You're healthy. Go get in a relationship. If they're at like two days clean and standing up and you're like, oh, but they looked so glowy. Like, no, Alexis, that's them detoxing. <laughs> the detox. That shiver oh. is the sweat that's coming in through their pores. <laughs> Like my fucking picker was broken. So I I stayed like single for a very long time. I'm still single. Um, and I found new purpose and I got my kids back and I got them back 50-50. And then I did a lot of work around my ex-husbands and how I show up in relationships and how I show up and like my control issues and my like um my need for like to like create this perfect fucking thing that doesn't exist. And um and and I started connecting into yoga and into spirituality. And I decided that I wanted more than one stream of income. So I was working in a construction place at this time. And um, I was a project manager. I can get jobs, no problem. It's like keeping the jobs. I'm a horrible employee. So I like, <laughs> like I started this job. They, they called me construction Barbie because I have blonde hair and it was awful. And um, I decided that I didn't want to do that anymore. And so I loved yoga and I found such a huge relief from yoga and from uh, meditation and mindfulness and like like all the things that I learned in DBT therapy, emotion regulation, distress tolerance, like all these things. And I was like, people need to know this. So I decided that I was going to start teaching meditation classes. And so I did. And then I st- started, like I did a life coaching um, um, certification and I started life coaching people and I just like was like this is what I am now and I started a business with Tori Spelling random and uh <laughs> and uh we I started that and now I'm the top one percent in Canada with that um so if I can if I can take the energy that I pour into addiction and pour it into something that's constructive for myself like I know that I can be successful at it. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I just have to be conscious of, of how much like balance and everything. So yeah, I started getting really successful at that. I started getting really successful. I started speaking places. Like people started asking me to speak. So I was like, okay. And then someone was like, well, how much do you want? And I was like, 
how much do you want to give me? Like, I was like, hey, what are you talking about? And then I started flying all around uh, the States and, and doing motivational speaking and women's conferences and things. And um, with, with Tori, I mean, it didn't, it didn't hurt, but like I was, you know, connected with that. Um, but yeah, like I, I built this incredible life for myself without a man. And like one thing that was told to me when I was younger that I kind of didn't like listen to until later on in life is if you give them the power to, to feed you, you give them the power to starve you. And so hustle and figure out your own, your own, your own thing. And so I do lots of things now. And I just, you know, now I'm doing a three month con contract at Charlford recovery uh, Society for Women, uh, Trafford House Society for Women, um, and I'm an addictions counselor there. Um, I still teach yoga. I still practice yoga. I my I love teaching yoga to kids. I love teaching me meditation and mindfulness to kids. Affirmations, um, like my kids do affirmations every single day. Like my little one is four, on, she'll be five in November. And every day she goes, wakes up, my name's Rhea Root and I am awesome. I'm smart, I'm brave, I'm compassionate, I'm a good friend. Mm -hmm. I say I'm a good listener. I'm like, you're a good listener so that she can like learn to listen. Um, <laughs> like, I feel like the affirmations will make that happen. Um, <laughs> And, and I need to start doing that stuff for myself. And I was never taught this stuff as, as a kid. So the more that I can get this message out there that recovery is possible, but like recovery from so much, like what is that recovery from? Because that dope was only a void to fill whatever that I didn't want to feel. Mm -hmm. The men were just a thing there that I didn't want to feel. The, um, the, the shopping, the sex, the whatever it was, like, it was just to fill whatever that I didn't feel was like, I wasn't fulfilled. And, and I found a power that's greater than myself that I call the universe, I call energy, I call intuition, whatever it is, you can call it Allah, God, I don't care what you call it. Um, but something that I'm connected to, that fills me. And I don't know, like, I just dated this guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh who's like 10 years younger than me first of all like that was like a no-go uh I, but I, anyways and and that whole situation like it was like four four weeks it was like a minute it was like a blip <laughs> in my life but I realized like I'm not ready yet like I'm not ready yet and that's okay and like I'm but what I what I did know is that through that experience I had integrity I didn't act quote-unquote crazy I wasn't like there wasn't anything weird like it ended okay um and but like every other time I have to burn it down mm -hmm. so it's like progress not perfection and and I don't know I like really love my life today I miss traveling COVID's weird my kids are back at school and there's stress there but um you know but I like I, there is not one thing in my life that I would change right now at all. Mm -hmm. if, if you ask me like, what's one thing in your life that you're not happy with, there isn't one. Mm. And you know, the one thing that I just absolutely thank you so much for sharing yeah. your story. Like I, you know, I was told when I first got into recovery to just keep um, stick it around and listening until you hear your story. And if you haven't heard your story, you haven't stuck around long enough. And uh, you shared so much. Uh, I sobered up young too. And, and, you know, the most awesome thing that you were talking about is all of those trials and tribulations and everything you've gone through sober, like all of these crazies sober, you still didn't pick up, you know, you still didn't, um, you know, might've picked up the crazy, but you still actually didn't pick up the drugs and the alcohol, which is remarkable. And, um, you know, being able to share all of that crazy. And uh, yeah, I think more people need to hear that. Cause I think there's this, you know, you come in, I always tell people like I grew up in, in, in recovery. Cause I was just a baby when I came in too. Um, and life is life. And think shit happens, right? <laughs> it really does. And for you to come and be able to share how what you've gone through. So there are listeners right now that are in that freaking crazy. I mean, there's moments definitely in my recovery that I'm throwing suitcases across the freaking kitchen, right? Like I'm going back crazy over my husband in front of my children. I mean, I, it's not pretty. Yeah. 
<laughs> sober. You, you know no. what? Like ask my fifth, my, my oldest is 15 now, almost 16. Like ask them. Like I got into an arm wrestling, trying to wrestle her phone out of her hand. Cause she wouldn't give it to me. And I'm on top of her. I'm arthritic. Like I have rheumatoid arthritis that I've had since I was 17. I can't, I don't have a grip. I like literally have zero grip. And I'm trying to grab this phone off her and she's back and forth. And we're like, I'm like on top of her. And then I just like let go. And I'm like, I hope you get arthritis one day. And I like walk away because I'm like, God, you win. Like I, I, there, like life isn't perfect. It's not meant to be perfect. I don't want perfect. I just want a better comeback rate. Mm -hmm. Like I just want to be able to like acknowledge the crazy when I'm in it faster so that I can pivot and change. Like I don't want perfect because if I'm, if I'm not, uh, if I'm not struggling, it doesn't, it means I'm not changing. So if there's not any kind of like thing that's happening, like I, I want to be evolving. So those moments like of like throwing the suitcase across the room or like me coming into a room and yelling, like, why do I have to yell to get anyone to do anything around this damn house? Or like, I hope you have arthritis one day. Like, I, <laughs> I, I think that you know, we have those, we all have those moments and it's like normalizing that and being like, okay, like, how do I get through that? How do I pivot? How, who do I have that's accountability in my life that I can talk to about that shit that I don't want to tell anyone else so that they can recognize that and be like, Hey, you need to change that. I, my ex husband used to tell me, go to a meeting all the time. He was the wrong person to tell me to go to a meeting. I'd be like, fuck you. You go to a meeting. My best friend will call me. I think you need to go to like, I need think you need to do something. And I'm like, you're right. Oh my God. I do. Do you want to hang out and talk? Like it's, you just need to hear from the right people. So make get, get those right people in your life. Like that's what saved me. And the only difference between me at eight years clean and someone at a day clean or like whatever at, at a year clean is that I just didn't use for longer. So I just didn't pick up. Mm -hmm. I just didn't pick up. And no matter how painful it was, I always know that I get through it. And my recovery has not been a straight line. And I don't think that's true for anybody. And anybody that's going to come and tell you like that, this is straight climb up the mountain to like this exactly. summit of like clouds opening and like the, the miracle of coming through. Mm -hmm. it's not the case. My, my story is a squiggly, squiggly line. Mm -hmm. But what I learned is that that miracle, and you know, you stay until the miracle happens too, right? You get, mm -hmm. it's a miracle is just a shift in perception. That's all mm -hmm. a miracle is. Mm -hmm. So every day we have these little miracles. Every time you have that moment of, Oh, it's a, it's a miracle. So thank whatever thing is out there that's guiding you because that awareness and that, Oh, Mm -hmm. Those are the moments I live for now. Mm -hmm. wow. I love that part. You you actually put it on one of your posts. Believe like believe in miracles, and that's so big part. It sounds like of your recovery. Just some of the things that you've kind of instilled in your foundation of your recovery, which gets you through those crazies, right? Because sometimes we got to go through the crazy, and like you were just saying, um, you can't grow unless you are uncomfortable. I, that's one thing I kind of heard over the years, right? And, you know, when you're uncomfortable, and you're kind of crazy, that means that there's some major growth going on. <laughs> and let's stop you. I use the word crazy all the time. But like, let's stop using the word crazy, because it's fear. Mm -hmm. It's fear of whatever it is that you're fearing in that moment. So if you have a fear, like if you're trying, if you, that craziness for me was control, right? So that fear of not being in control was my crazy. So once I started realizing that, that that's really just what it was and that it wasn't some like fault in me and that I, I just, it, it, and I could give it up easier, the mm -hmm. fear than I could the crazy. Oh, wow. Cause like, call me crazy and I'll show you crazy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. But like call it fear and it hits my heart center mm -hmm. and I feel it and I pivot. Mm -hmm. I'm more open to changing when I call it that. I feel like I'm at like a conference right now. Like this has been amazing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I just like, I've done so much therapy. <laughs> it's just regurgitated crap. It's just like, that's all it is. It's just like you hear it enough and then it like gets brainwashed. Right. And like, I'm really interested in like this in, in fi finding how I tick and mm -hmm. finding out what works for me and then I'm just really passionate about helping other people and like 
I mean, we were talking about this part earlier about like different pathways to recovery and like some people are like 12 step only and some people are like, you know, smart recovery and some people are like, oh, I just like, I'm just going to get on an ORT, like an, an opiate replacement therapy and like live my life. And like some people are like, you know what, like I'm, my, my recovery looks like me not using my DOC, but looks like me using this, you know, like marijuana or whatever it is. And um, I have an aunt who got clean on ORTs and at 55 years old, she used heroin since she was 13 years old. You can't come and tell me like, oh, she's not clean. Like, I'm not the clean time police. Like I'm not the recovery police. Like uh, your, your pathway to recovery is true for you. And as long as I can like help you along the way of that, like that's my purpose. I'm not Mm -hmm. here to like tell anyone that like abstinence is the answer. Abstinence was the answer for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I got there by a lot of people loving me and having faith in me and letting me show up exactly as I am and meeting me where I was at and allowing me the process of, you know, like I, my, my ex-husband now, full loop, Rosie's birthday, I just came back from his house celebrating her, his, her birthday. She, he's like my best friend. Like mm-hmm. I phoned him when I was going through the like breakup and I, I remember phoning him and I was dating some dude and he, I'm like, oh my God, I saw his ex-wife on Instagram. And cause I do that. I, I, I. <laughs> right don't tell me you don't do that um (laughs) and she looks exactly like me he's like you should go and see what his mom his mom looks like (laughs) might be freudian that'll be interesting like phil's like one of my best friends he really is he's got my back we went to the peony we went back to school shopping together we went we're we're doing her birthday party this weekend together i was just over there um he i can call him about anything he can call me about anything we just suck being together and i tell people all the time we have the kids one week on one week off and we do a lot of work on co-parenting together. I swear we could teach courses on it now. And uh, that's an idea for another stream of income. And, uh, <laughs> there we go. and, uh, and, but honestly, like we, like it, it worked having someone that has the same values as me, thank God of like raising my kids, like with how the values and the morals and how we want to show up for our kids. And, you know, you know, he's in recovery them- too, I'm guessing. He's not, well, he is, but he has his own path of recovery. Hmm. It's not a conventional path of what he does. Like Hmm. he, I don't know if, well, whatever, I'll just say if he gets mad at me, he gets mad at me, I don't care. Uh, He (laughs) he smokes weed and he drinks, but he is able to maintain an incredible life that way. Like I think weed honestly helped him with his mental health, but like he was a a junkie shooting heroin in like, cooking up morphine like fucking crazy so like he's not doing that he's doing that and he's like so productive so i just like support him in whatever he's doing and his stories may not be my story and my story is not his story i don't hang out there like while he's having his beers or what he doesn't drink beer he drinks girl beer but (laughs) (laughs) when he's drinking his palm bay but like i i i don't like i have boundaries around it but like the guy it like we do week on week off and I have a week when like COVID isn't happening and my life looks like, like I was stuck in a basement suite for seven years, right? I um, traveled on a plane 28 times last year. Mm-hmm. And so that freedom of like one week on, one week off and like Phil taking care of Phoebe while I'm gone, right Phoebe? Um, like we're a family. And mm-hmm. so we, it doesn't have to, like I've learned to let go of the image of my parents. I've learned to let go of the image that I think like Disney created that TikTok, like, I just, <laughs> um, or whatever. Like, I, I am me. I am happy, and I love my life just as I am. And it's gonna take a dude, like, with like a lot to like be able to to come in on that. I was talking. I was hearing Charlie Theron was talking about that, about how she's like single and like she lives this big life, right, with a lot of moving parts. And it's gonna take a super special dude to like come into that and Mm. I'm very protective of like this space now Mm. well maybe I'm not I don't know (laughs) (laughs) tell me that later when the guy with two days clean and a detox glow stands up and then I'm like (laughs) yeah you know what I think uh, Disney needs to start a new movie about all of this like everything you just talked about would make such a good and honest and real depiction of like what life is like dating when you're not you know you haven't grown up with like the awesome examples and tools that 
you see everyone else seems to just have so naturally. Um, I really that people threw shit at each other. Like I just thought it was normal. Mm. (laughs) Exactly. Not normal, (laughs) or maybe it is normal, but you you strive better. Strive for better. I want to touch in a little bit about your chat on uh, Overdose Awareness Day because that really got to me. Um, I saw a little bit of it on TikTok and it just, the part that really struck me was that um, bit where you're talking about the difference between enabling and loving and how Mm. it was so important to be loved into recovery for you. Mm. Would you like to touch on that a little bit? Sure. I, uh, I believe, especially now and like, you know, when we have people that we love that are using, I know for me, like in the nineties and two thousands, that there was this like tough love thing that was happening. And, and that like my parents were taught, like you have other kids, let her go. And so there were years where I didn't talk to my parents and, um, and I needed the people like Scott, right. The guy who took me on the drive to Squamish, who showed up at my house when I had my kids to see if we were okay and eat spaghetti dinner out of a can or whatever. Right. And like, just be okay with that. Um, and I needed to have people that allowed me to be where I was and to love me there. I, I think there's definitely boundaries that people need to create around loved ones and addiction. Don't give them money. Don't give them uh, like a way to get drugs. Don't, you know, don't, don't help them with like, but it's so, it's like our heart, we lead by our heart and, and you don't know, especially now, um, if you say no, that like go away and then they overdose. Like I, I have a different view on recovery now than I did 10 years ago. And I always used to think like, oh, it shouldn't be a revolving door, like either you're clean or you're not. And no, like we are human. We are good. We are innately good, like in inherently, like we are born pure and the world and our experience changes that. But in the core of us, we are pure. And when we die, we are pure. There are no defects in death. There are no defects before death. And so I, or before life. And, and so I believe that like seeing the human in those, in our loved ones who are using, yeah, it hurts. Right. But it's like, get the fuck over myself. Honestly, like I, I will never shut a door again. And I think that that came too from when I've lost people that I love in to overdose, but also the love that I was shown coming into recovery. I don't think that I would have had that if I don't, I know that I wouldn't have gotten clean if it hadn't been for the people that loved me while I was using mm-hmm. and called me and said, Hey, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. And I may not have answered. I may not have texted back. Um, but I saw it. Right. And I felt it and it's real. So, um, get clear on what boundaries feel good for you and, and stick to them and have accountability people around you to help you stick to them. But don't, don't just write people off. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. it's so often in re- addiction. I just had a conversation with uh, someone who's battling uh, this disease and they're calling and reaching out and, and the place to go to is like, you probably think the shame that when we're in that place and that self-worth is so low and all she was saying is you think this, you think this of me and listing all of these horrible things that she thinks about herself that she thinks I see in her. And I said, stop right there. I do not see that. I see the most amazing, beautiful, thoughtful, caring, you know, strong woman. That's what I see. That's what your addiction, everything you just told me right now, that's what your addiction is telling you. That's what your addiction wants you to believe because I don't see that. I see the most sensational, beautiful human that, and then she, you can hear she's weeping, but we need to be more telling people who are in that place, how beautiful, how special, how wanted, how needed that they are. Yeah. Seeing someone's gifts and telling them what they are, Yes. right? Because it's, it's so important to, to know, like we have a purpose. Yeah. Whoever's listening to this, like, I want to say this right now, you have a purpose. You are here for a reason think of all of the million billion way like like it we are here as humans as souls like against all odds right all those sperm right (laughs) 
They picked you! <laughs> Congratulations! You're here for a purpose. And, you know, and, and you are loved and you are divinely supported and you are, you know, and, and if you are feeling like you are not connected or whatever, it's like, you are, you are here, you are listening to this for a reason right at this mm -hmm. moment. And, um, and we have a purpose and, and the most gifted people in the world are people that have struggled with addiction, mm -hmm. right? Like, Robert Downey Jr. People, <laughs> um, no, I just think like we are brilliant, smart, incredibly passionate, forgiving, selfless people in our core, and we do shitty things. We are not shitty people, mm -hmm. and that's where the difference between the guilt and the shame comes in. And like we are not bad people. We mm -hmm. do bad things sometimes, or we make you know questionable choices. But those choices that I have made in my life do not define who I am right now. And it does not define where I'm going, period. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or anyone Mic else. Drop. <laughs> yeah. Amen yeah. to that. <laughs> no question. Yes. I, you know, when we go through these battles and if you're out there and you're battling, even in sobriety, like that's been the big talk today in addiction, um, in recovery. Uh, and I, I don't know how many times I've heard other women and myself, me calling my support saying like, why, why does it have to be so painful? And my, my supports always remind me going because somebody else is going through exactly what you're going through and you're going to come through the other side and you're going to be there for them and your story needs to be told. And so everybody has different degrees of when they've come, when they haven't, what they've dealt with. And it is all for a purpose is what you were saying. Yeah, definitely. The best moment in my life was the day that my kids got removed. Mm -hmm. the best day in my life was the day that I had Rhea and she was removed at birth period and it set I would not be who I am right now without that I needed something like that severe in that moment to go to to be able to pull through on the other side of that so it's when I'm going through that pain and I'm like, why is this happening to me? Oh my God, duh, why? Right, it's like, because this is the pivot point because you wouldn't, you wouldn't know, you know, and, and, and I know that every difficult time that I've got gotten through through the past that I've gotten through it mm -hmm. because grief is not stagnant and happiness is not stagnant and, anger is not stagnant and you know all of it like the feelings are fluid and they move so knowing that I'm safe to go through this because there's something else on the other side of this mm -hmm. and there's also knowing because I think this can be another thing for people is when they are in the joy and this is awesome and life is amazing that it's not always going to stay like that either that it can right like there's going to be a moment where you throw your fucking suitcase across the floor and you're like fuck you like <laughs> i love that example i can just see you in my house yesterday no just joking <laughs> seriously I, 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 I didn't throw nothing <laughs> i have banged my kid's door so hard into her wall that i phoned my ex-husband and I was like, Christian fell into the door. <laughs> like, I need you to come fix it. But like, just like, I have moments too, right? But I also have a sign on my door in my bedroom that says mommy's meditating. And everybody knows that when I'm in there and that sign's on the door and they were like two years old knowing that don't go in, mm -hmm. don't go in because I need a minute to reset, you know? Yeah. And so it's finding what works for you to reset that. And I think that's a great thing in, in recovery. And I want to just touch on this real fast because other parents are out there and, you know, the greatest gift uh, of, you know, delving into ourselves and understanding where we can go um, to be able to come back after with our children and be able to not have them live in that in silence and be able to love on them and explain to them that, hey, you know, it's a teaching opportunity to be able to um, give your children to let them know mommy's not perfect and we have feelings and what you were just saying you know, the anger, the joy, the, the hurt, the grief, you know, um, I think that's really important to, to say, like you were mm -hmm. <laughs> commenting on your children, right? Like, totally. That's, that's such a gift for us to be able to, you know, able to talk about that as a family and how many times you said that in your story. I'm really glad that you're able to, to share that part. That's important. 
going through grief right now and I've been hitting some really, 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 really low lows that I haven't really experienced much in my lifetime. And I know like it sucks and there's so many times I just want to get out of it and I feel like I'll do anything to just not have to feel that way. But then when I get to the other side without picking up, without using, without doing a lot of things I I used to do to self-soothe that weren't healthy, um, I get this weird confidence now where I'm just like, holy fucking shit, I actually can do it. Like I can get through that and it it makes me believe in myself more and, and I've always really doubted myself because I have like anxiety and panic disorder. So I'm like, oh, I'm not reliable. I'm not going to show up if people ask me. I can't do the things I want to do. And this is really proving to me like I can actually, I can still show up even in this space. I'm still here doing my podcast and like, you know, showing up for work and showing up to be a mom and, and doing all this stuff through like the worst pain of my life. So it's built like this weird confidence I've never had before, which is actually like such a cool blessing in all of this really shitty time in my life. The thing about grief is it's like, I know for me, I, I, when I want to try to hide through it or use something else so that I don't have to feel it, like, I don't want to feel this, I don't want to feel this anymore, I don't want to feel this anymore, I don't want to think the same reel that's going on in my head over and over and over and over again, right? Like, um, that if I pick up in five years from now, I'm going to have to feel it like it was yesterday mm-hmm. again. So I want to feel it now and move through it and it does give you confidence every time you do something like that and like you are so brave Brooke and mm-hmm. um, and you are a voice for people like you showing up being vulnerable through this and telling your story moment by moment as you're going through it I watch you on Facebook I see you I, I see you so many people see you and it gives them permission to walk through the grief that they may have felt 10 years ago that they decided not to feel so you know or or now or in the future they're gonna you right so it's it's important for us even even though to while we're doing that to show up and be vulnerable and share it because that's what this world needs more of right now Mm -hmm. is that connection and that oh me too and oh if she did it i can and um i just think you're so brave oh gosh i think so it's so inspired. so 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 brave so inspired like i i just think like you're you're yeah it it's and it's it's been a bless like i don't want to say a blessing watching you go through it but it has been because like i wish it had never happened but it it is going to help a lot of people. Mm. It's helping a lot of people. It's helping me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I really appreciate that. I mean, it's nice. Part of Seek Purpose is like bringing purpose for our pain. And that's how we do that is tell our stories and hopefully connect with somebody. And I know just I won't see the, the effect of this until I'm over it and things are done. I'm just in the middle of it. But um, yeah, just being able to kind of get feedback like that makes it a little bit easier to be like okay I know there's there's God's using this I I call my high power God it's getting used it's not going to go to waste there's meaning even though it feels like there's no it's like it feels like why the hell did this happen but I know that there's going to be meaning from it so it makes it a little bit easier but anyways it's so important I think it is important like I was saying earlier with your part of your story which I absolutely love is opposed to it being the hey i'm sober and everything's wonderful you know i i I don't know how many times my husband and i who both have been in recovery for years sometimes i get so worried um you know because i know being in recovery has been so many difficult pitfalls of my recovery like really really tough and you know if we're not planted in um in in doing what's necessary to stay sober and clean today it's just I mean I like you're gonna just like I feel like I'm gonna get blown right over (laughs) and um you know when you come out with social media like it has been now with the TikToks with Instagram with Facebook and having lives now it's incredible how many people are feeling like oh my gosh I'm not alone you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to be able to get through this. Oh my gosh, how sober are you? And you're going through this or uh, how you're dealing with grief 
in your situation or how you're dealing with parenting or co-parenting and all of these issues, I think it's really a positive to let people know that life is life and we don't have to pick up, we don't have to, we don't have to use and it's okay to be, it's okay to live in fear. Yeah. It really is. It's really it, okay. Like fear it, is going to, going to hit us, right? You, you can't know love without fear. Right. So you got to know fear in order to know love. And, and, and one thing is like addicts, I know for me, I'm always like, oh, I'm like we don't monop- monopolize pain. Mm-hmm. Like we, we are not the only ones in the world without pain. And I think like one of the big things for me that I learned, cause like, and I'll, I'll just talk about this cause she'll be okay with it. But like Tori Spelling is my business partner, but she's also like grown in the last four years to be one of my best friends. She calls me her Canadian wife. I'm her American wife. Like she, she's family to me. Um, like, and she, she has it just like I do right? Like she's not an addict, but she goes through stuff and, you know, it may not be the same stuff, but it's the same feelings. Mm -hmm. And when I'm like, oh, that chick who should have it all together, who, you know, had, you know, was 902 Donna Martin doesn't have it. Right. And then I see other people too, that are like, that I know that have been, that are famous. And I'm like, oh, they don't have it. And and it's like, we don't, we're not the only ones. Like we mm-hmm. feel it, but like other people do too. This is a societal thing. And and I think like just deciding like, oh, I'm, you know, yeah, I'm going to be of service to like other addicts or whatever, but like, I'm going to be a service to this world. Like I have a choice. I can either, like our energy creates, I believe our energy creates like, everything else it's like a ripple effect butterfly effect and so if i'm at starbucks and i'm like barking an order at the person i'm literally polluting the earth right or i can choose happy and happiness is a choice like do you believe that Mm -hmm. i love i have on my arm love um because it's always one thing i see every day and whatever decision i have in my life everything if i have to sit there and go am i going to do this am i going to do that what am i going to say i said there what would love do that's simple that's my recovery program what would love do yeah and uh you know if i'm if i'm not following that's the simplest answer to everything i have today would love pick up right now over the situation no it wouldn't it would love through it yeah so yeah it it is it really is as simple as that love and fear love Mm -hmm. and fear i'm acting in love i'm acting in fear yeah yeah hundred percent. Oh, well, I, we could literally do this for two more hours, I feel like, but we, I know, I'm hit. looking at the time too. What time is it? It's, it's, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> it, it makes up for all the times we started late. Yeah. <laughs> like part one, part two, part We're six. having you come back. That's oh sure. my gosh. This has been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much yeah. for coming here and sharing. Well, can we like, can we like go for a walk around? Like, can we do that now? Like I, we, we had a date and then it didn't happen. And I would love that i would love that so much i know are, are you in vancouver i'm i'm in i'm in vancouver for sure yeah i'm in maple hey, ridge okay, actually like, yeah let's like, do it yes let's hang out we be friends absolutely <laughs> i'm so down where can let's our uh, listeners get a hold of you learn about you connect with you uh yeah you can reach me on uh facebook at um w at facebook uh, <laughs> Um, what the hell was that? Um, you can reach me on Facebook. My name is Alexis Nicole there. Um, it's facebook.com backslash Alexis dot N like Nicole root R O O T. Um, I'm on TikTok Alexis Nicole root. Um, and I'm on Instagram Alexis Nicole official. Amazing. And we're going to link all of that into our show notes for all of you that are listening. And if you are watching right now on Facebook, please say hi, share this with your friends. If you know people that need to hear this, like send it to them, please. It was such an honor to have you here today, Alexis. And uh, we just, oh my gosh, this was so much fun. We have to do it again. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. We are thrilled to have you as a part of this community and we are really trying to grow and reach more people. So there's a lot of ways you can get involved. Um, One is going to our website. There's some really great resources there. Yes. And the most exciting part is checking out those GIFs 
or what do you call them? Gifts. I call them gifts. You call them gifts, whatever, tomato, tomato. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're actually enjoying your sober life, and you're going and you're posting on your Instagram, please just go to Seek Purpose and check them all out and tag us. Yeah. I want to see what you guys are doing out there in sober life. Yeah, we also have filters actually we've been putting out as well. There's so much you can do um, through so social media with Seek Purpose, like like, comment, share, all of our posts, really get involved with this community. There's so much help out there for you and so much connection here we've been finding. Yeah, and you know, the one thing that we have learned in recovery is asking for help. So we're gonna ask for help and just become a patron mm -hmm. and come help be a part of this community and help it grow. And uh, we'd love to have you. If you wanna become a patron, we have a link on our website that you can click and there's some really cool perks of becoming a patron with Seek Purpose. So we hope you check that out. And obviously, if you review this podcast and whatever podcasting app you're listening to, it's going to help us reach more ears and get that message out of recovery. Mm -hmm. Stay tuned. We have so much more in store. And uh, as our, our little community grows, our collective, there's exciting things that are happening that are coming out uh, that we can't wait for you to be involved with. So stay tuned and uh, stay connected.